0: The Sermons of St. Francis de Sales for Advent and Christmas. Continuing his sermon for the second Sunday of Advent, John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus. Jesus said to John's disciples, Tell John that the blind see. O God, what greater blindness than ours! Though full of abjection and misery, we nevertheless wish to be esteemed something. What can blind us in this way except self-love, which, besides being blind itself, also blinds the one in whom it dwells? Those who paint Cupid always cover his eyes to indicate that love is blind. This should be understood still more of self-love, which is blind to its own abjection and the nothingness from which it proceeds and of which it is formed. Surely it is a great grace and sign of interior conversion when God gives us His light to know our misery. He who truly knows himself is not annoyed when he is held and treated for what he is, for he has received that light which frees him of his blindness. Tell John that the lame walk. Whether the infirm of whom our Lord speaks here were lame in one limb or both scarcely matters. But most of those who live in this world are lame in both. We all have two natures, which are like our two legs. These two natures are the irascible and the concupiscible. When they are not well regulated and mortified, they render a person lame. The concupiscible nature covets wealth, honors, dignities, preeminence, pleasures, and delicacies, and renders a person covetous and avaricious, causing him to limp to one side. There are others who, though not avaricious, have so strong an irascible nature that when it is not rightly submissive to reason, it causes them to be troubled and to resent inordinately the least things done to them. They get up their guard and continually look for ways to avenge themselves for any little word or wrong done them. Now to whatever side it turns, be it good or bad, this nature is very strong. But when it turns to the side of evil, it is difficult indeed to set it right. Very many have both natures damaged, and these limp on both sides. Others limp on only one. Our Lord came to cure the lame. He came to make them walk upright before His face in the observance of His commandments. Therefore, He adds, Relate to John that the lame walk. Tell John that lepers are cured. There are a great many spiritual lepers in the world. This evil is a certain languor and tipidity in God's service. Persons thus afflicted have neither a fever nor a life-threatening illness, but their bodies are so infected with this leprosy that they are completely enfeebled and broken down. By this I mean that they have no major imperfections, and commit no grave faults, but they do commit and omit so many little ones that their heart remains quite weak and languid. And the most dangerous thing of all is that while in this state they cannot be touched or moved without being pricked to the heart. Surely those infected with this leprosy are very much like little lizards, vile and abject animals, the feeblest and simplest of all. Yet despite their weakness and infirmity, they immediately turn to bite us if we touch them ever so lightly. Spiritual lepers act the same. Although they are covered over with an infinite number of minutely small imperfections, they are so haughty that they do not want to be seen or touched in any way. And if you rebuke them ever so slightly, they immediately turn to bite you. Tell John that the deaf here. There is a spiritual deafness that is very dangerous. It is a certain vain complacency in ourselves and in what we do, so that it seems to us we no longer need any growth or improvement. We are no longer anxious to hear the word of God preached, or to read books of devotion, or to be reproved or corrected. We amuse ourselves with trifles, thereby placing ourselves in great peril. If it is a very good sign when a person listens willingly to the divine word, is it not a bad sign when she is disgusted with it and no longer feels she needs it? Tell John that dead men are resuscitated. Actually, it is this sacred word that resuscitates the dead. It is by listening to preaching that we receive good inspirations and pass from sin to grace. It is by good reading, too, that the heart comes alive and ever gains new strength and vigor. Tell John that the poor have the gospel preached to them. Surely St. John's disciples did not find our Lord among the princes and leaders of the world, but with the poor, who listened to him and followed him wherever he went. This dear Savior of our souls came for the poor and took a singular pleasure in being with them. Oh, God, with what gentleness he taught them. He made himself all things to all men in order to save all. He gives his spirit to the poor and humble because poverty engenders humility. He flees the proud and haughty of heart and gives himself to the simple. He lifts their heavy and sluggish spirit and gives them his own with which they can do great things. Thus he confounds the high and mighty by the lowly and simple. For this reason, we can say in truth not only that the poor have the gospel preached to them, but also that they preach the gospel, God using them to carry his truth to the whole world. It is indeed true that our dear Savior and Master came to teach both the little and the great, the learned and the simple, Yet we almost always find him among the poor and simple. How different is God's spirit from that of the world, which esteems only appearance and pomp? Ancient philosophers received into their schools only those who had a good mind and sound judgment. Of those who did not possess these qualities, they said openly, Such a canvas is not suited to our brush. Today we see many simple folk despised by some people, who become irritated and wearied by their conversation and who take pleasure only in being among lofty minds. No matter how haughty, proud, and arrogant these people may be, the world still tolerates them. But God's Spirit does quite the contrary. It rejects the proud and converses with the humble. Our Lord even numbers this among His miracles relate to John that the poor have the gospel preached to them. Then he adds, "Blessed is he who will not be scandalized in me." "What do you mean here, Lord? How could it be possible for anyone to be scandalized after having seen you perform so many miracles and works of such great charity and mercy?" "I will be," says the Lord, "the disgrace of men." the outcast of the people. I will be a scandal to the Jews and a stone of stumbling to the Gentiles. But blessed is he who will not be scandalized in me. For I, who am now working such great miracles in your midst, must be crucified and attached to a cross. Because of that, many will be scandalized. O oh, blessed are those who will not be scandalized at our Lord's humiliations when they see Him outcast and everybody's laughingstock. Blessed are they who, during this life, crucify themselves with Him, meditating on His passion and bearing in themselves His mortification. Indeed, we must all go this route. We must attach ourselves to our Savior's cross, meditate on it, and bear in ourselves His mortification. There is no other road to heaven. Our Lord traveled it first. Experience as many ecstasies, spiritual raptures, and transports as you wish. Even ravish the Eternal Father's heart if you are able. Yet with all this, if you do not dwell on the Savior's cross and practice self-mortification, I assure you, that all the rest is absolutely nothing and will disappear in smoke and vanity. And you, in turn, will remain empty of all good, permitting yourselves to be scandalized at our Lord's passion, as were many of His contemporaries. In short, there is no other gate to heaven than that of humiliation and mortification. The disciples then returned to St. John to relate what they had seen and heard. O God, think of the hearts of these good disciples. How peaceful and filled with great consolation! How they must have tarried with their master, telling him everything they had seen and heard. How filled they must have been with great insights and knowledge concerning our Lord's coming. How tenderly they must have conversed with one another about those wonderful miracles and prodigies he performed in their presence and those things related to them by the apostles. As they were setting out, the Savior turned to those around him and asked, What did you go out to the desert to see? Perhaps you went there to see a reed exposed to storms and tempests or truly a rock immovable in the midst of the sea. Similarly, we might ask, What did you go to see in the desert, that is, in religious life? For the desert is related to the origins of religious life, and religious life is nothing else but a desert of sorts. So, what did you go out to see? Perhaps you found reeds there? Oh, no, St. John is not a reed, for he dwelt there like a rock, immovable, in the midst of all the waves and tempests of tribulation. This has been taken from The Sermons of St. Francis de Sales for Advent and Christmas, translated by Nuns of the Visitation and edited by Father Louis S. Fiorelli, OSFS, published in 1987 by Ten Books and Publishers, Incorporated, Rockford, Illinois, and aired with permission of the publisher. This book may be purchased online at www.tanbooks.com or by calling toll-free 1-800-437-5876.